Father, you are an awesome God. You are God. You're the creator of the world and the universe and all that exists. We humble ourselves before you now. But you are also the God of our salvation, who sent your only begotten Son. And we ask, Father, that you would please be with us now as we open your word, believing that this is your word, knowing that this is your word. We've experienced the power of your word. And we ask once again that you would come, you would renew our minds, you would transform us, you would call us and, and make us and help us to be the people that you have called us to be, that you have purchased with the blood of your own son. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that we're looking at this morning. As we continue our study of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." If you look at the scriptures, and especially you can see this in the book of Ephesians, God's goal for his people is that we would be a holy people. That's been God's plan all along, that we would be a holy people. In fact, in fact look with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. The, just the fourth verse of the book, Paul introduced this when he says this, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So when the eternal plan was set before time began and he chose us in Christ in union with him, the plan was that we should be a holy people without blame. Now, actually, if you turn now to Ephesians 5 and you go to the end of time, to the end of time in this present of this present world, notice what it says in chapter 5 and verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself. Now, that presenting the church to Christ is at the end of time when Christ comes, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, the exact same phrase. Before the foundation of the world, God's will was that the church, these people would be holy and without blemish. Here, that we would be holy and without blemish. In other words, God's goal is not just to forgive us of all of our sins, although that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And that's the beginning, when God saves us and forgives us of all of our sins. 
But imagine this. Imagine if, say, I was governor, okay? And uh, I decided to pardon everybody who's in prison. Ah, the expenses of prison is getting too high. So we're just going to pardon everybody. We're going to forgive them of all of our sins. We're going to pardon everybody. Just, you're forgiven. All of your crimes are forgiven. Open the gates and let them out. <laughs> it's like, wait, no, governor, don't do that. Wait, you're unleashing mayhem upon society here. No, don't do that. Well, the same thing is true with the kingdom of God and the people of God. We're, we're, we're forgiven of our sins. That's the only way we, we can even enter into the kingdom. We're forgiven and cleansed from our sins through the blood of Jesus. That's great. But God has a much deeper plan than that. God is going to transform us and change us and mold us into the image of his son, back into the image of what mankind was supposed to be. And that's the process called sanctification. And you'll notice, if you still have your Bibles open to Ephesians 5, notice verse 26 that Paul introduces that word sanctification. And sanctification is that process by which a believer becomes um, made into, into the image of Christ becomes made holy, is transformed into being a holy person. And that's what sanctification is. Now, there's many approaches to sanctification and many definitions of what it means to be holy. All you have to do is look at our Amish neighbors and you see that they have a certain specific definition of holiness. Now, we don't agree with all their definition. We don't agree that, you, that if you're in a horse and buggy, that's more holy than being in a car. We don't agree with that. That's, a, that's not a proper view of holiness. Uh, nevertheless, uh, people have, there's, there's different ways. And in some ways, um, the, you can see this in the Bible. And uh, these different ways of sanctification. One of them I could just characterize as pharisaical. It's the Pharisees. And the way they do holiness and they approach holiness is they give you a list. Here's the list. And you follow the list. The list says do's, the list says don'ts. Do the do's, don't do the don'ts, check the list off, and you will be holy. Therefore, here, take the list and go. Go do the list, keep the list. And we'll judge you, we'll watch you, we'll keep an eye on you, we'll get down on you if you do the don'ts, we'll commend you if you do the do's, but here's the list, you're on your own, good luck, go for it, be holy, don't be bad. And we'll wag our finger at you if we don't, we don't like what you see. That's one view of holiness. And different branches have their different lists. I, I, I was uh, early on introduced to fundamentalism, and they had their little list, and there were certain things on the list, and there were certain things that weren't on the list, and they wagged your finger at you quite a bit. And, uh, and that's one view of holiness. That is not the Bible's view of holiness. And that is not what Paul is going to open up here. Now, I want, I want, I want to uh, mention here that oftentimes Paul is the author of the book of Ephesians. And oftentimes I'll say, Paul says this, Paul is saying that. And I want you to understand, when I'm saying that, what I mean is Paul, the apostle, appointed by Jesus Christ to be the teacher of the church. So Paul is an apostle. And so when I say Paul, I'm saying what's biblical. And when I'm saying what's biblical, I'm saying what is Holy Spirit inspired. And what is Holy Spirit inspired is God's will. So this is what we're looking at, is what is God's way of sanctifying? What is God's way of sanctifying? How does Paul present this to the Ephesians? And I want to say this, that Paul's way of, 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 the, of sanctification is very different than the Pharisees' way of sanctification. Paul's way of sanctification is this. I'm going to explain to you, Paul says, who you actually are, and then I'm going to encourage you to live out who you are. 
And what I'm going to explain, and this is what Paul has been doing in the early uh, cha uh, chapters of the book of Ephesians. I'm in, in all of the early chapters of the book of Ephesians, remember I kept saying to you, there's not one command here. There's not one imperative. There's not one do this. There's not one list given. In the whole half of the early half of the book of Ephesians, Paul spent all of this time laying the foundation of describing who we are, how blessed we are, what God has done for us. By, and he said this. He said, by miraculous grace, grace, unmerited love, unconditional love, immense love, huge love, amazing love. By this unmerited grace, God chose you before the foundation of the world. God united you to his son. God redeemed you through his son's blood and forgave you of all of your sins. God adopted you into his family. You have been born anew, raised from the dead spiritually. God has given you the Holy Spirit. You have experienced adoption and redemption all through your union with Christ. That's who you are. And then Paul says in chapter 4, and you've been incorporated into the body of Christ. He is the head. And by union, the head and the body are in union. They're one. They're together in that sense. And you've been incorporated into that body. You're a part of that body. And there's a synergism where that body's gifts and the power of the resurrected Christ flows through that body to heal and turn, transform and to help you. That's who you are. That's who you are. And now Paul says, live this out. Live out who you are. And he says it in two ways. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. Don't go back to what you were. Go forward. Go forward. Now notice how he says that. Look at verse 17. This I say to you, therefore, testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Don't go backward. That's what we looked at last week. Don't go backward. Go forward. Now, let's take a breath. I'm the one who has to breathe because I'm the one who's working. And uh, let's, uh, let's, let me back up a little bit. And let me interject a little bit of controversy here. And let me stir the dust and then try to settle it today a little bit. But next Sunday morning in Sunday school hour, I'm going to settle it more. And here's, let me say, what in the world are you talking about, Todd? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Last week, I preached this text, okay? And I preached this text, and if you remember, I said the old man, the Adam, the old humanity was over here, and the new man, the new humanity is over here, okay? And I opened this text up to you. Well, you can imagine my surprise, which shouldn't have been my surprise because I, the NIV was my Bible uh, before uh, about 35 years ago, but I forgot. You imagine my surprise when I compared Ephesians 4 with some other translations as I was going on, and I realized that almost all of the modern translations of the Bible do not translate the old man and the new man. I was like, oh, no, what have I done? Because I know that many of you have on your laps either the NIV, the New Living Translation, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, or the Christian Standard Bible. And if you have all of those Bibles, unfortunately, the translation is different than the one that I'm using here. And there could be some confusion in that. And so last week I introduced you this idea of the old humanity and the new humanity. And then, uh, lo and behold, I realized that some of you have in your Bibles the, tran the, the translation old self and new self. How many of you have a Bible that says that? Old self and new self. 
I'm looking at verses. I actually do need a, a raising of hands here. 22 is your Bible says the old man. Don't raise your hand. If it says the old self, raise your hand. Okay, okay, good, good, good. Not good, but good. I, I at least know what's going on here. Let me urge you at this point that that is a very, very poor translation, self, okay? Let me say, in fact, that I think that that translation is actually a serious mistake, a serious mistake. And I'll tell you why I think that's a serious mistake, because I think it leads to confusion. Because first of all, that is not a translation, that is an interpretation, okay? The Bible says the old anthropos, the new anthropos, and as you hear just by hearing that, that's man, the old man and the new man. The problem with the translation self, the old self or the new self, is that it has shifted the focus dramatically. And that that self interpretation is actually a psychological interpretation. And it brings it down to the individual, to the self, the individual here. And what I'm saying is, is that that is actually a product of modern man's thinking. It is not a product of biblical thinking. And that's why I think this is such a serious mistake of translation. In fact, I want you, and this, I'm going to try to prove this to you. I'm not going to be able to do that in full here. So we're going to take this up in Sunday school class next week because I think this will be a good uh, class for us to study this out. But what I'm saying is this. This passage is not saying that your old nature or your old self, your individual self. That is not what this passage is getting at. What this passage is talking about is the old humanity, the old humanity in Adam or the new humanity. That's what he means by old man and new man. That is a corporate reality. By corporate, I mean that is a group reality, okay? It is not an individual reality. It does have an individual impact, but it's not an individual reality. Let me put it to you this way. This concept of the old man and the new man is not a psychological concept. It is what's called an eschatological concept. And by eschatology, eschatological, I mean eschatology. You, let, me, let me explain where I'm going with this. You remember, uh, some of you who are here will remember a couple weeks ago that I explained to you uh, I kind of gave an outline, and we put it on the board, and unfortunately, Brady had to go and have a baby, and so uh, I couldn't get her to do this again on the board. I'm just kidding. I'm so thankful. Brady, I'm so happy that you had that baby, and, and uh, we're excited about Olivia. I'm joking. But anyway, I, I, I put it on the board last time. You remember biblical eschatology, in other words, how the Bible understands all of time, it's this age and the age to come, okay? This age, now where we live, and then with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the age to come, okay? And then you'll remember that I said that the, in biblical eschatology, though, once with the first coming of Jesus, you have the overlapping of the ages. The age to come has actually already started. With the coming of Jesus, his life, death, and re especially his resurrection and ascension, the new age has started. So now we have an overlapping of ages. And the new age has started, in other words, and we, we know this in our lives. We have been born again. We have been given new hearts. We are called the new creation. God is making a new humanity. It is the church. It is this new body of Christ. And so, and, and yet, we still, and so we live with this overlapping of the ages. Now, let me change that overlapping imagery by the imagery that I had up here, because some people said this was very helpful. 
the old man and the new man. So right now, with the overlapping of the ages, the old man and the new man are living together. Jesus even told a parable of this, of, of a, a, a farmer sowing good seed, and then somebody came and sowed weeds there, and they said, what should we do? Should we go get the weeds? He said, no, you'll destroy the good. Let them grow together, and then at the final day, we'll sift it out. So right now, the new humanity and the old humanity are living together. And we feel the tension of that because we still are ourselves living between the ages. Let me explain this to you. Let's, let's say this is the old man. This is the old humanity under Adam, fallen, sinful, under the slavery of sin, under the slavery of death. This is the old man. This is the new man in Christ Jesus, the new humanity, born again, born from above, heirs of the kingdom of heaven, citizens of heaven, uh, uh, be, and they're being renewed in the renewed minds. And you're aware, you and I are all conscious of the fact that we still have aspects of the old man. We're still living in the tension of the ages. In, when, when this age is over, when this age is over, we will have resurrected bodies. We will be fully in But right now, we have the tension. We still have I, this body. There's no question about it. This body is an Adam body right here. I got this from Adam, and it's decaying. It's dying. It, it, it's, it's falling apart, okay? This isn't the body in one sense that I'm going to be spending all of eternity in. It is because it's going to rise from the dead, but it's going to be glorified over here. And yet, I have a new nature. I have a new heart. I have, I've been born again. I have been created anew, okay? And so we understand that. But when Paul talks about the old man and the new man, he is not talking about that psychological battle that takes place in here. He does talk about that in places in Scripture. When he talks about the Holy Spirit in the flesh and the body of sin in the flesh, he'll talk about that. But when he's talking about old man and new man, he is not talking about this battle that's going on in individual Christians, although it has an individual aspect. We're going to talk about that. He's talking about the old humanity and the new humanity. He's talking about the old man in that sense and the new man in that sense. And we're going to, I'm, I'm going to show this to you uh, as, we, as we look at other passages of Scripture. So, but let's look at what his, what I would like to do just by way of sort of summarizing this is I've given you a quote in your, in your uh, bulletin. And I'd like you to look at that quote. And again, I'd like to apologize because... Uh, I didn't have Brady looking over my shoulder, and I typed this, and there's typos in it. So I apologize ahead of time about this. This is a quote from uh, Douglas Moo. It's actually from his commentary on Colossians, but uh, nevertheless, this will help us. He says, the contrast of old man <coughs> and new man <coughs> alludes to one of Paul's most fundamental theological conceptions. The contrast between a realm, and he uses this phrase realm, it's very important for him, a realm in opposition to God, rooted in Adam's sin and characterized by sin and death, and the new realm, now we could say humanity in that sense, rooted in Christ's death and resurrection and characterized by righteousness in life and life. In our text, Paul wants to remind us that we have been transferred from this new to into this new realm, and that because of this transfer, we are both empowered. <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's the old Adam nature. I'm losing my voice here. And required to live in a new way. See, that's important. We've been transferred into this new realm or this new humanity. And that because, and because, that because this transfer, we are both empowered, we're no longer under the slavery of sin, and required to live in a new way. The need to work out in daily life the reality out of the, out of the transfer into the new realm 
or the new man reflects Paul's typical already, not yet tension. While already detached from the old man and attached to the new man, we yet live in a time when the old has not been finally defeated and destroyed. That's the overlapping of the ages. The old realm continues to exist and to exercise its influence over us who still live in unredeemed bodies. And so that's what Paul is getting at here. So when Paul says, I say to you, no longer live as the Gentiles walk, he is saying, put off the old humanity. Put off that old fallen Adam humanity and live and put on the new man. So notice how he says this. Verse 17, he says, do not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Then he talks about how darkened they are. We, we did all of this last week. He talks about how their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from God. They have this ignorances in them, They're this hardness or blindness of heart. They're even past emotion and feeling, and they've given themselves to lewdness. You don't be involved with that. Put that off. Look at verse 22. Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. He's not saying put off a nature. He's saying put off that old humanity. Put off everything associated with the old Adam. Put off everything associated with that fallen, darkened society. Put it off. Get it off. Take it off. De get, disrobe yourself from it, okay? That's what he's saying here. He says, don't go back, it's doomed, and notice, it's also getting worse. Notice what he says in verse, um, notice what he says in verse 22, that you put off concerning the, your former conduct, the old man, this old humanity, this old society, as it were, this old race of people is growing corrupt according to deceitful lusts. He's not saying your nature is growing corrupt, even your old nature is growing corrupt, he's saying the old humanity is. But then he says this, verse 23, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And we're going to take that on next week because I want to stay with the contrast of old and new here. And then look at verse 24. And that you put on the new man or the new humanity. Put on this new man and this new humanity, which was created according to God in the true righteousness and holiness. Put this on. Put on this new humanity. Be who you are. Live out who you are. You have been redeemed and brought into the new humanity of Christ. Live that out. Live that out. That's who you are. Put off, put on. Put off, put on. Have nothing to do with the old Adam. Have everything to do with the new, uh, new life in Christ. Look at, look at, how, the, look at how it works in, in verses 31 and 32. You could say 31 is a put off verse and 32 is a put on verse. Look at verse 31 of, of chapter 4. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's put off all that. That's all the old humanity. That's all the fallen old race of Adam. That's all the condemned. But then look at what, and here, look at verse 32. And be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Put these things on. That's what the new creation is about. That's what the new covenant is about. That's what the new humanity is put on. And so you see, that's what he's talking about. Now, notice what he says at the end of verse 24. He says, put on the new man, and look at, what, look at what he says about the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. God created this new humanity. He created them. He created us. We're new created, a new, a new man. Now, he's already said this. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. 
Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. We, by the way, corporate, we, the new humanity, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in him. Look, God has created this new humanity. He's created this new people in Christ Jesus. In fact, in verse 11 then, he picks up and he says, now remember, you were once Gentiles in the flesh. You were uncircumcised, the uncircumcised called. You were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, verse 12. You were out there. You were the old man. You were in the old humanity. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now check this out. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, notice next, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Who are the two? Jews and Gentiles. Those who are in the kingdom and out of the kingdom. Those are the Old Testament church, uh, as it were, and those who are in the new, those who are Gentiles. These two people, humanities, have been brought into one new humanity, one new man. Both reconciled to God, verse 16. Both giving access to God, verse 18. This one new man. And that's what we're to do. We're to live it out. Now, in Romans chapter 6, Paul teaches this. He teaches that as this new man, Paul says this. The question is, should we sin so that grace may abound? Paul, they, they talk about how Paul says, when sin abound, grace abounded even more. Grace is greater than sin. Grace overcomes sin. Grace is greater. And so somebody says, well, then we should keep sinning so God would be glorified by his grace. Paul says, Paul says this, are you crazy? Like, like I, mean, I mean, he almost says that. Are you crazy? Look at Romans chapter 6. It's a passage that Chris read. Hopefully you still have that uh, there. Paul says this, certainly not. Then notice what he says. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? What? We died to sin. How did I die to sin and the reign of sin? Well, he says, well, you illustrated it in your own baptism. He says, or, or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, verse 3. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That's where we died. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. It was symbolized in our baptism. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. We died. We died. And because we died, notice what he says this. If you have been united together in the likeness of his death, we died with Christ. We died because we were united with Christ. We were one with Christ. And he is the head of the new humanity. He died upon the cross for all of us. He died. We died with him. And he says, when he rose from the dead, we rose with him. So notice how he works this out. Verse 5. For if we were been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old humanity, not our old nature. Todd was never even alive at that point. The old man, the old humanity, the old Adam, our old man, as it were, he, that old humanity died with Christ. He says, remember that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. 
And then he says, then Christ rose from the dead and he lives to God. Look at verse 10. For the death which he died, he died to sin for once, but now the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now look what he says in verse 11. Here he says, listen, this is who you are. Live it out. Look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. Don't present yourself as his instruments. You're no longer under that reign. You're no longer under the dominion of sin. See, Adam was under the dominion of sin, the reign of sin, the rulership of sin, the reign of death, the reign of all of those things. And you have been brought out of that through Christ. Christ came into this humanity. Christ took upon this, this humanity. But then Christ took our, our sins, all of our sins, and died. He died with respect to this humanity, with respect to the reign of sin, and he rose again. And when he rose again, we rose with him, and now this is who we are. We're the graced, risen people, no longer under the reign of sin, and that's how we should live. And so live it out. Live it out, Paul says. Live out the power. Live out the victory. Live out who you are in Christ. Now, you know what, dear ones? That is a beautiful way to look at sanctification. That is a beautiful. It's not, no, 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 don't you be good. Rah, 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 this is how Christians shall live. Good, you know, no, no. And so let me put it to you this way. By way of application. Try to bring this home. Last week I said, in terms of putting off the old man, I said this, our life should be lived with an aggressive, radical, active, vehement no to the old man, no to the sin, no to the darkness, no to the hardness of heart, no to all of this, no, I'm no longer a part of this, no, that's not my identity anymore. Well, then I'll say this week, we should, our lives should also be an aggressive, radical, active, Vehement, enthusiastic, yes. Yes. This is what I'm pursuing. This is what I want. This is where I want to be. I want to be this. I want to grow in grace. I want to be holy. I want to be the man God wants me. I want to be this new creation. Yes. This is who I want to be. Yes. And this is what Paul was saying. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 3. You're in Ephesians. The next book is Philippians. Well, you might be in Romans, but flip back to Ephesians. Then the next book is Philippians. Then the next book is Colossians. Notice again, you see this all through Paul. And this is why I'm saying this is so biblical, so sound. This is how God sees sanctification. Notice how he begins Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. By the way, all of these yous are plural. So I'm going to get real southern on us here right now. And every time I see a you, I'm going to say you all. And, when, and I'm doing this for a purpose because when Paul wrote this and when the Holy Spirit inspired him, this was not an individualistic thing. See, we tend to read the Bible way too individualistic and psychologically. We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to read it eschatologically. The new creation, the new age, the new us. This is who we are. So notice what Paul says. He says in 3.1, If then you all were raised with Christ, you all were raised with Christ, all of you, the new humanity were raised with Christ. Seek, there's that vehement yes. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. And set your plural mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. There it is. No, yes. 
Not setting my mind on this, setting my mind on this. There it is right there. For he says, look at verse 3. He goes back to who we are. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What in a verse? You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So then look how he works it out. Verse 5. Therefore, put to death the members that are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, sexual immorality, and, 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 and all the ugliness and malice and hatred and bitterness that you see. Put it off. Put it to death. Get it out of your life. Look at verse 9. You do not lie to one another since you all, plural, have put off the old man. Not you have put off your old nature or your old self. You all have put off the old humanity with his deeds. You put it off and have put on the new humanity who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now look at verse 11, which proves the, the corporate nature of the new man. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. What is the new man? It is this corporate people. It is the saved people of God. It is those who are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, dear friends, we need to understand this. The focus on this point, biblical holiness begins with a deep understanding of who you are as the new humanity, of who you are in Christ, of your very identity. It's not, no, 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 you keep the list. No, no, oh, that's a bad Christian. You're a bad Christian. You should do, you should do that. You should. It's not that at all. It's not that, oh, man, they gave me this list. Here's this list. Go do the best you can. It, and it, it just see if you can work it all out. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's not that at all. The biblical view of, human, of, of, of sanctification isn't, oh, boy, what are they going to think? Oh, boy, did I do this right? Oh, boy, what am I doing now? Oh, boy, is this good? Is this bad? No, no, no. no. That's, not the, that's not the biblical view of holiness. The biblical hue of holiness is, whoa, wait a minute. Know who you are. Wait, that stuff isn't who you are anymore. You're the new people of God. You are, you are the, 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 you're the future rulers and residents of the new heavens and the new earth. You're the resurrected people. You're the new race. You're God's race. You've been set apart. And this needs to be the very core of your, of your identity. Now, I want to give you an example of how Paul worked this out. And how differently people who have a false view of sanctification work this thing out. In the city of Corinth, Corinth was like Las Vegas and Nevada with its legalized prostitution. Corinth was that city. And Corinth was so pagan and so screwed up and so ugly. And we're actually moving toward Corinth. We're going to be living in Corinth here. We're, we're, we're close. We're close. But we're not quite as close. Corinth was even more screwed up than we are today in our culture. Corinth even had these things called temple prostitutes. They tied in religion, pagan religion, with sexuality in such a way that they had prostitutes in temples. And so you hired a prostitute, but it was part of temple worship. And believe it or not, that was a normal part of culture. And some Christian men from the Corinthian church, we're doing this. What I want you to look at is how Paul handled this. Paul did not shove the Ten Commandments into their face and say, you bad men, 
and thundered the wrath of God. Now, Paul will do that, and he's going to do that in chapter 5. We're going to tremble in our boots in chapter 5 for a certain section, but Paul doesn't do that here. Notice what Paul does. First, it's in your handout, 1 Corinthians 6. Notice what Paul says to these men. He says this, and notice, by the way, this is a precursor for next week. He starts at the mind. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Let's just stop right there. Do you not know, you're over here in the new humanity, that your actual physical body is a member of Christ? Do you, you realize, don't you, that they're gonna, this body's going to die, right? And y'all are going to put it in a a coffin, and y'all are going to bury this body. This body, my body, Todd Johnson's body, you're going to bury it in the ground, okay? And, the, and it's going to rot. It's going to mold. It's going to get fuzzy green mold on it, and then it's going to start to decay away, and then if the worms get in there, they're going to start eating it, and then it's going to turn to a skeleton with just hair, and well, no hair, but then they're going to, uh, and then it's going to just be dust and some teeth, and then it's going to be just dust. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise that up into this glorious being, okay? In other words, Jesus didn't just buy my soul. He bought my body. And my body and my whole being is attached to and a member of Christ's body, of Christ. Paul just gave them that whole theology right in this verse. Then he says this, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Should I take part of Christ's body and attach it to a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. In other words, Paul is saying, do you know what you men are doing? You're taking Christ and you're connecting him sexually to a harlot. It's your identity. And what Paul wanted them to do was be absolutely flabbergasted, ashamed, embarrassed, and horrified at what they had done because of their identity as the new humanity, because of who they are. Who they are should have radically transformed them in such a way that they should have said, there is no way I'm going to that temple prostitution. There's no way I'm going to indulge in that. I'm not going to take Christ and attach him to that. I'm not going to take, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm a vital part of the living synergistic body of the new humanity. And I'm not going to attach and dishonor his name by attaching him, as it were, to that. Do you see that? That's a view of sanctification. I am a new human in that sense. I am part of the new humanity. And this is being worked out as the body of Christ. So let me put it to you this way. Sanctification is not supposed to be, oh boy, oh boy, here I go. Now I got to be good. I, I accepted Jesus because I want to go to heaven and I want my sins forgiven. So I accept Jesus. Now comes the bummer part. I got to be good. I got to keep my nose clean. I got to stop doing the stuff that, that, that I used to do. I got to stop hanging around and, and, and th I got to stop talking like I used to. I got to stop thinking like I used to. I got to stop being, oh man, this is a bummer. This is sort of drab. I got to be one of them boring Christians now. I want to go to heaven. I want my sins forgiven, but I don't want to be one of them boring Christians. I, I want I, I, I to, but you know, this whole do and don't, this whole be good thing, I, I have a, difference, that's a wrong way of thinking. 
The, our view of sanctification should be this. Wow! Wow! I have been graced. I have been forgiven. The Son of God died for me. I was chosen before the foundation of the world. I'm in union with Christ. I am one of those loved ones, beloved ones, one of God's eternal children. I'm a child of the living God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm one of, going to be one of the masters of the universe, for goodness sakes. And this God is a holy God. I want to be like him. I want to be holy. I want to be all that he would have me to be. I want to be molded and transformed into the image of his son. That's what I want. And praise God, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I have the power of the kingdom to come in life in my life. I have been born anew. I'm able to do this. I'm able to do this. And our attitude should be, let's go. Let's go. And that's what Paul means. Seek the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on these things. Put off the old man. Put on the new. Be all that you can be. Put the pedal to the metal. Run with all that you've got. Give them all that you can. Be one of these new human beings. Be one of these transformed people. Be increasingly transformed. Become more like Christ. Grow in grace. Be all that you can be. That should be our view of sanctification. That's Paul's view of sanctification. It's not like, oh boy, i got to be good. It's like, what a privilege I am to be here. What a privilege I am to be one of these people. Oh, God, help me to be all that I can be. And God, I am going to be this. And so I'm going to urge you, seek with all that you have within you. We're going to look practically at it in the weeks ahead, but seek all that you have within you to know God, to walk in God, and to be in God. Are there any here that are on the outside looking in? You're saying, Todd, you're doing this and this and this. Man, I, I have to tell you, I'm over here. But I'm looking in. And I'm looking at what's going on over there. And I, my loved ones are over there. Some of the people that are dearest to me are over there. And some of the people whose lives seem to be the most uh, vibrant and growing and, and just different. And, and it's kind of attractive. And I wish I could be over there. I wish I could be over there. Well, let me give you some really good news. You can be over here. In fact, you're invited to be over here. That's what the gospel is all about. Come to Jesus. Come and live and come and be forgiven. Come and join. Come and be over here. But I'm afraid that maybe some of you who are over here are looking over here and you want to be over here, but you don't think that God will accept you over there. You think, I'm, I'm too bad. I've, I've done too many bad things, man. No, you don't know how bad I actually am. You don't know how, how screwed up I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am over here. You don't know my past sins. You don't know how dirty I've been. You don't know how rebellious I've been. There's no way I can be over there. Yes, there is. You're invited to come. Just as you are, you're invited to come. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Nobody will be cast out because of their sin. Nobody will be cast out because they're too dirty. Nobody will be cast out because they're such a big failure. That's what grace is all about. No, come, come, come. And not only, dear friends, are you invited, you're actually commanded. You're actually commanded. 
God commands all men everywhere to be saved. He commands them to repent and come. You say, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works. If you were to say to somebody, come on in, come on up, come on up, come on. And they're like, no, I'm not good enough. I'm going to get your butt up here. Now, God doesn't talk like that. But nevertheless, you say, get in here now. Come. I command you, get up here. That's what God's doing. Because he loves you so much. He's saying, get in, get in, get in here, get in here. And you will be welcome. You will be welcome. What do you need to do? Just say, Lord Jesus, I want to be in your new humanity. I want to be saved. I want eternal life. I want a new start. I want a fresh start. I want my past to be behind me. I want it to be cleansed by your blood. And you've offered all of those things. Lord Jesus, I believe you. I trust in you. In fact, I embrace you as my own. I am now one of your followers. I trust you. I accept you. I'm turning my back on that. I don't want nothing to do with that anymore. I want you. I come to you. And Jesus' first words out of his mouth, praise God, will be, welcome. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. I've loved you before the foundation of the world. Oh, dear ones, come. But don't do this. Don't feel over here and say, no, I like it here. I got my boyfriend, I sleep with him, I ain't giving that up. I got my drugs, I got my pot, I ain't giving that up. I ain't giving up this stuff. I like it here. I got me, and I'm, this is gonna be about me, I like it here. Dear ones, if you do that, guess what God's gonna do? God's not gonna send you to hell. You're going to send you to hell. Because God's wrath is coming on this. God has been so patient and so good, but there is a day of judgment coming and a day of wrath coming and a day of accountability coming. And this old man in Adam, this old humanity will perish. It is going down. It will go to doom. And you will go with it. Not because God sent you there, but because you refused the invitation the loving invitation to come. Oh, do you not see how dangerous you're living your life? And if you were to die in a tragic car accident, having stiff-armed God here and gone to hell when God offered you to come, what a terrible thing that would be. Oh, dear ones, come to Christ. Each person in this room, please, please, make peace with God through Jesus Christ while there is still time, while the day of salvation is still here. Come to him. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, who are we that you would offer salvation, eternal life, adoption, a total pardon and forgiveness, and an entrance into the new humanity, the body of Christ? Who are we that you would do this? I know we're sinners. It's who are you? You are the God of grace. It's not what we've done, it's who you are. It's not what we are, it's what you've done. You are God. Help us who are in the new, king, in, in the new humanity. Help us to just go with that with everything that we've got. And help us 
I pray. Help those who are on the outside looking in. Oh, Father, please save them. Please save them. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.